WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and you thought there was no vocal group harmony in Cuba? Well, guess again. Los Zafiros and Dichoso Mar. I'm sure I screwed that up royally, but 1974 on Egram. And there's an interesting group. They were around from about 62 to 76. Of course, very little of it exported to the States. But Zafiros supposedly means sapphires, and Dichoso Mar means happy sea. And beyond that, I have utterly no idea. I know our guest will, but we're going to talk about bigger things than that. And that's Frank De Verona, who is an educator, a a historian, a journalist, but most of all, a veteran of the Bay of Pigs invasion and somebody who saw what was going down in Cuba firsthand even before that. And I'm sure he will agree that there are some stark parallels to America today. So, Frank, welcome to WGN Radio. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really enthralled, might be the wrong word, but truly reading some of the things you were saying, because I was in Miami at the time of Bay of Pigs and uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis that followed, and some of what you have said confirms what I remember. And it's fascinating to me because it seems that there are so many parallels to today, and when I read what you had to say, I was aghast to see that... Fidel Castro could not have risen to power if it weren't for the United States' involvement. Oh, absolutely. Uh, The Eisenhower administration was responsible for Castro coming to power. Uh, And then, of course, the Kennedy administration uh, did not uh, do the invasion properly, and we lost because of that. So, yes, the United States was responsible. And, uh, yeah, it's very sad. Uh, It was uh, actually... A defeat for freedom and a victory for tyranny uh, because it, it hurt the United States. And of course, it hurt the Cuban people. Well, we've had uh, over 60 years, we've had a, a communist dictatorship in Cuba that has uh, brought a lot of tons of drugs to the United States. We lost about wow. 71,000 people uh, last year. Drug overdose that's done by Cuba, working with the cartels uh, in Venezuela and Colombia. And they have also stolen uh, millions of dollars from Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, and they, of course, turned Latin America against the United States. They've intervened in Africa and Asia. And they even participated uh, in, the, in the Vietnam War, killing American yeah. soldiers, torturing pilots. And uh, some of those pilots were taken to Havana, where they were all eventually assassinated. So, yeah, Cuba has yeah. been a terrible enemy of the United States. And all of that could have ended in 1961. Right, and we... And, uh... We set them up, and if we go back to 1957, we had the New York Times, no great surprise, who were big Fidel Castro supporters, but we also had uh, some of our, uh, our Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, the CIA director at the time, Alan Dulles, and uh, uh, others who were telling Eisenhower that, that Fidel was a good thing, and my first question is, do you think they believed that he actually was somewhat of a freedom fighter? Do you think they didn't see through the ruse? No, Fidel Castro has always been a communist ever since the entry of the University of Havana. He was in Bogota, Colombia, when they did the Bogota. So he was out there killing people. Uh, he's always been a communist. And I'm sure that Herbert Matthews, uh, when he went to see Castro in the mountains in 1957, uh, Herbert Matthew was a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. I'm sure he knew he was dealing with a communist, and he covered that up and then wrote that he was like the George Washington of Cuba, the Simon Bolivar of Cuba. 
He was a great Democrat. He's going to bring democracy to Cuba. I'm sure he knew all of that were lies, and he was the one responsible for making Fidel Castro totally unknown in the world at the time in a hero worldwide yeah. uh, due to all the, the articles that he wrote for the uh, New York Times. Right. And, and the New York Times, as you know, today is the voice of the Council of Foreign Relations. Yeah. It lies practically everything they write about Trump. So they were lying back then about Fidel Castro, too, as they're lying today as well. Right, and they were not alone, while people like William Wyland, the State Department official, were also talking about uh, CFR ties uh, undermining Batista. Now, Batista was somebody that America initially supported, and then by 1958, they, he was basically getting the message that, hey, we've confiscated your weapons, and we we're asking you to leave town. Now, at that point, as you say, people like Matthews and the Dulles boys and, and others, uh, they, they knew what they were dealing with. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Castro was sort of as advertised. It wasn't a great secret. So uh, the, I guess the first question is, why? They're dealing with somebody who clearly uh, not only has communist leanings, but he's uh, you know swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. They had been supporting Batista, who was not a communist. Why? What was the uh, end game in this at the time? I think the, the idea from the Council of Foreign Relations that was uh, controlled by the late David Rockefeller, they wanted to actually put Castro in Cuba uh, as an experiment. Cuba was one of the... Uh, best countries in Latin America in terms of the uh, owner of, of, of automobiles, eating more meat than the United States. Uh, our peso had the same value as the dollar. You could trade it one-to-one. -one. We had no inflation. Uh, we were, of course, uh, uh, getting out of being a poor country. You know, we had industries all over, light industries in Cuba. We had tremendous trade with the United States. So it was quite a prosperous nation. Uh, by Latin American standards. And yes, uh, the United States did support Batista. Some people said that maybe they encouraged him maybe to, to do the coup d'etat on March 10, 1952. But if they had good intentions in Cuba, uh, and Batista was following orders, whatever orders the United States would tell him, he would follow. We did have an election in November of 1958, and there was a, a great uh, a patriot in Cuba who was running... Uh, against the Batista candidate. Uh, his name was Marquez Sterling. He wrote the 1940 Constitution. He was an anti-Batista leader. The United States could have told Batista, let this guy win in November 58. And if they had done that, Batista would have allowed him to win. And Fidel Castro would have to come down out of the mountains because the one the elected president was an anti-Batista leader, highly respected in Cuba. But no, they actually wanted to put Castro in power, so... Batista selected uh, his own candidate, and from you know, and then uh, it happened. And it's very interesting. Uh, Herbert Mad, I mean, Harold uh, Smith, who was the last ambassador uh, under Batista in Cuba, he testified to the Senate Intelligence Committee in 1960 once Castro was in power, together with Oscar Gardner, the previous ambassador to Cuba, and both of them said. Who is responsible for getting communists in Cuba? They said the press. They didn't have the term, as we do now, mainstream media, but they did. It was the press together with the State Department uh, and our government. That's what they say. who was responsible. So it's very sad. And then he said something even worse. He said, uh, Earl T. Smith said, 
the CIA station chief in my embassy in Havana was working to put Castro in power. The CIA station chief in Havana, that's what he said to the Senate Intelligence Committee back in 1960. Well, while you're saying this, you mentioned things like the New York Times and some of the people in government. It's such a parallel to what we're seeing today. I don't think it, uh, it's much of a jump. We're still seeing uh, support for things that, that clearly are leaning toward communism, uh, unabandoned support. And so you say to yourself, uh, didn't they learn anything from this? Or... Or were they happy with the outcome? They were happy with the outcome. Uh, I think the parallels, uh, what's going on in the United States today, is identical to Cuba. Uh, they hit the fact that Castro was a communist, even though four ambassadors of the United States, one in Mexico and three in Cuba, told the State Department that the 26th of July movement was thoroughly infiltrated by communists, mm-hmm. and the United States should not allow Castro to come to power. Four ambassadors said that, but there were two communists in the State Department. One you mentioned, William Wyland, that in Cuba had a name, Guillermo Arturo Montenegro, mm-hmm. and this boss, uh, Ray Rubotan, was Assistant Secretary of Inter-American Affairs, both of them on the fourth floor. Uh, all those cables, the repeated cables, were ignored, completely ignored. So that was very sad for the U.S. and for Cuba. And today we have the same thing. They are trying to present Joe Biden as a moderate, He's not a moderate. Kamala Harris is a communist. So is, Kamala, so, so is Bernie Sanders. So is Elizabeth Warren. So is AOL plus three, the squad. And they are trying to fool the United States into thinking that they can vote for Biden and everything is going to be just fine. No, Biden uh, has now uh, is the leader over one center-left party, which is now a completely dominated by communists, the Marxists. Democratic Party, pro-infanticide, pro-communist China, anti-Israel, and a serious danger to national security. I mean, Joe Biden has been on the payroll of China. This is just coming out, all those emails, all the things that are coming out now that the mainstream press is hiding, as well as big tech. They're hiding all all of the stories that came from the New York Post, and all of these emails that clearly show, as the president has said, that Joe Biden and his family is a criminal worldwide enterprise. They've taken money from China, from Ukraine, from Kazakhstan, from Romania, from, you know, and, and now this guy was on TV today in Fox News talking to uh, Tucker, mm-hmm. mentioned Luxembourg, mentioned Arab countries, you know. This is, this is uh, a horrendous scandal covered by the press, just like they covered in the United States that Castro was a colony. Same thing is happening. I see the the same thing that happened to Cuba happened in the U.S. today. Same thing. The parallel that I saw was that the FBI has had this laptop, for instance, for a year and hasn't acted on it. And when I took a look at some of the things, some of the shenanigans that were going on in the late 50s in America of uh, obscuring what Castro was about, it's chilling to me and, and most chilling. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you lived this firsthand. And the thing that I remember so well, uh, being in Miami, 90 miles from Cuba, and we still would like to go over the hotels and the gambling and the shows and all those things, is the the prevailing logic was it wouldn't happen here. It's not going to happen here. Oh, that won't happen to Cuba. Cuba's too advanced. Cuba's too, uh, you know, and everything. And it's 
the same verbiage you're you're hearing right now. There, there's a lot of denials that that this is very serious. So we are talking with someone who lived it. If you've got any questions, I bet you that Frank De Verona has some answers. And we will talk about the Bay of Pigs again. Talk about having our government send people out to slaughter. What was that about? We'll find out coming up on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. That's Amir Deodato, Havana Strutt, 1974 on MCA. And no, of course, it didn't chart. We're talking with Frank De Verona, educator, historian, survivor of the Bay of Pigs. And survivor's the word I choose because the bottom line is that America sent its fighters to uh, absolutely to slaughter, to a battle they couldn't win. Now, the interesting thing is, as far as I recall, there had been another plan created before the actual invasion that would have worked. And if that's true, why did we abandon that and do something that clearly was going to fail? Well, uh, the plan that was prepared by the CIA and approved by the Joint Chief of Staff was a brilliant plan, and he had a very opportunity of uh, defeating communism in Cuba. But that plan was completely abandoned by President Kennedy, who changed the landing site and changed everything else, making it also impossible to win. Uh, we were going to land in the city of Trinidad, which was right at the foot of the Escambray Mountains, where there were thousands of rebels, anti-communist rebels, already fighting. Trinidad had docks for our obsolete cargo World War II uh, Liberty-type ships. It had hospitals. It had a population of about 27,000 people, most of them anti-Castro. And we had enough weapons in, in our ships to uh, have a, actually 15,000 soldiers there. We were going to bring our government in exile from Miami to Cuba. And once in Cuba, in Trinidad, we were going to have a, a beachhead there, uh, impossible to be destroyed because Trinidad also had an air an airfield for our uh, our fleet of B-26s, and there were supposed to be five airstrikes uh, against Castro, the first one April 15, using 16 B-26s in the morning and the afternoon. On the 16th, two more airstrikes. And on the D-Day, April 17, 1961, the fifth airstrike. And all of that was canceled by President Kennedy. The first airstrike was reduced from 16 B-26s to only eight and instead of all airfields in Cuba, only three. That was a successful airstrike, but it left the enemy with seven planes, among them three jets, Furies, and B-26s. And then after that, the president canceled the rest of the airstrikes. And also, it was impossible for us to go to the Bay of Peaks. There were no piers, no infrastructure. It was absolutely impossible to unload our weapons from our obsolete ships when there are no docks uh, to bring them down. And we had uh, outboard motors uh, with uh, nine people in each in each uh, boat there, and uh, they also mixed the oil and the gas incorrectly, so most of those would not even uh, operate properly. So they sent us uh, to die. Uh, there was a discussion in the White House by Alan Dulles when the president was saying, I may cancel the entire operation. Alan Dulles should have told him, cancel it, because you're sending me to be slaughtered. But he didn't say that, and then all he said was, well, Mr. President, you have a disposal problem. You've had here 1,500 men, almost 1,500 men, who've been being trained in Guatemala to invade Cuba. Now you're going to bring it all back to Miami? What do you think they're going to say about you? They're going to call you a traitor. And then a disposal problem. That's how they 
put us there, and then the president said, okay, we'll dump him in Cuba. And they sent us to the Bay of Pigs, which was an act of criminal negligence, the deletion of duty and high treason. That's what Kennedy did. Well, he did. There's no doubt about that. And canceled air support as well. So they put you in a place that you couldn't possibly win on the ground. And as I remember, there was one anecdotal story where some of you saw a B-26 coming by and you thought, oh, good, finally. And it turns out to be Cuba. So it was it was a situation that that had to fail. And this, again, is the part that is a total mystery and and something that we need to hear because this is our government that did this. So we're going to pick it up there, and I am talking with Frank De Verona. And if you've got any questions or comments or anything in particular you are wondering about, this is the time to call 888-876-5593-8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. And by the way, if you think that, uh, that, that this is the end of the story, oh, no, no, we're going to get to the Cuban Missile Crisis as well. And <laughs> the outcome of that, well, quick, mercifully quick, but mind-boggling as far as this goes. And what is the deal. Why is America, and American journalists in particular, always leaning to the side of communism? And where we are right now, again, the parallels to anybody who lived this time in the latter uh, latter 50s and early 60s, it's got to be chilling to see what's going on today. So, we'll continue on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Riley James. I'm suddenly off the air. I accidentally just spilled a bottle of water into the board. All right. Well, most of it, I think, I got back together, but I'm not sure. In any event, everything went flying, including me, as usual. Well, we're talking about a topic I'm excited about at the moment. Uh, not in a, a good way, for sure, but uh, certainly from the standpoint of this is information that you really should digest because history does repeat itself. And Frank DeVarona educator, historian, and survivor of the Bay of Pigs, lived it. And he lived the sentiments we're hearing now politically. And we he lived the people who said, oh, no, no, communism wouldn't happen here, not, not in Cuba, and on and on. And, of course, you see the result. But the uh, the undercurrent is the part that is uh, so, so interesting to me with regard to the United States setting this up. It just, it sounds unbelievable, but it is also undeniable. And so we were talking about, as I say, the Bay of Pigs. We have uh, have a situation where a plan that absolutely would have worked was scrapped at the last moment because the Dulles boys told Kennedy it would, would make him look bad. And so that takes us to, a few months later, really not that much long later, takes us to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, from what I understand, was another colossal screw-up. You with me, Frank? Yes, that's correct, Rolly. Uh, I think Khrushchev uh, saw the debacle uh, at the Bay of Pigs and thought that Kennedy was a very weak weak uh, president, so he he felt that uh, he uh, they met in Vienna shortly after the Bay of Pigs in May of 1961, and he verbally abused the president. He came out of there very shaken. Uh, then they built the Berlin Wall that summer, and then Khrushchev thought that he could put missiles in Cuba and get away with that, but blackmail in the United States. So he did that. Now, fortunately, Kennedy reacted well when that happened. 
and 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 they were negotiations, you know, to get those missiles out of Cuba. And uh, of course, they also had to pull out the Jupiter missiles that we had in Turkey and Italy. Uh, and then uh, Khrushchev did take those missiles out of Cuba and also a lot of uh, uh, modern aircraft with uh, atomic bombs. So, uh, but the missile crisis, of course, the almost the entire world had thermonuclear war. For a while, we didn't know that was going to happen. I was in prison in Cuba at the time, October 1962, and, and they told us in the Alpines when I was in prison there with my brother and cousins and so forth, that the American was going to invade Cuba, and they have put dynamite uh, under these, the foundations of our prison. And if the Americans invaded, we were all going to be killed. Uh, they're going to blow us up with dynamite, and then if we survive that, they're going to machine us in, inside the prison. But you know what? I had a 30-year hard labor sentence. I was already dying. I had lost 60 pounds. I had hepatitis, dysentery. So uh, I demand dying. I said, great, right. I hope the Americans invade tomorrow. You right, know? right, exactly. Uh, but exactly. it didn't happen. And uh, and then, of course, they, there was this agreement between Khrushchev and Kennedy that the United States was not going to invade Cuba militarily uh, in the future. And, uh, well, most of presidents, I guess, has respected that. We're very grateful to President Donald Trump that he has put strong sanctions in Cuba, uh, and, and we had endorsed them. Uh, I am in the Bay of Pink Association, the Director of Press and Information. I presented Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump, in, all, in October of 2016 with the Brigade Insignia. I worked full-time in the Trump campaign 2016. I'm now a surrogate for the 220 campaign, and we endorsed him for the second time, and he invited us to the White House. In September 23rd, when with my wife, 30 other uh, Bay of Peaks veterans, and he honored us uh, uh, in the White House. We had a private meeting with the president, eight of us, and the vice president in the East Room, and then we had a bigger meeting in the East Room. So the president really likes the brigade, and we like the president. We think that there is hope, having him reelected, to bring freedom to the Western Hemisphere, getting rid of communism in Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. We're optimistic if he gets reelected, but more importantly, he needs to get rid of all the communists in the United States. Well, we are totally infiltrated here. The well, press is communist. The universities are full of communists. All of the unions now are communists. About a hundred congressmen and senators are also communists. We're really in sad shape in the United States. Uh, look at what's happening. We have a communist insurrection since May 25th with the George Floyd assassination in over 200 cities. Uh, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, which is now the armed militia of the Marxist Democratic Party, uh, burning buildings, shooting police officers, injuring civilians, you know. And if Trump wins, and I'm sure he's going to win on November the 3rd, we may be experiencing a coup d'etat. Uh, that's also something in the future that could happen. I hope not because it will definitely be civil war in the United States, and we certainly don't need that. But, yeah, it's a lot of dangers. Uh, they, they're cheating. They're going to cheat in this election. Mm-hmm. Unsolicited ballots in California, sending, what, 23 million ballots in California. All the things that are happening is very alarming because we're so infiltrated by communists. For a very long time, we've been infiltrated, but now it's getting to the... We are teaching now uh, in pre-K-12 the Black Lives Matter communist curriculum, in many of these United States, together with the 6019 project from the New York Times. So, I mean, the two teacher unions are communists. They're promoting the Black Lives Matter curriculum. 
is really the United States. I've never seen the United States in such a bad shape as I see it today. And for me, where am I going to go? Because when right. Cuba fell, I had the United States. But if the United States goes colony, where am I going to go? Where well, are you going to go? Right. I mean, you know, it's the end of the world. The entire world will be communist if Joe Biden wins. Yeah, that, that, that's the question, where would we go, assuming that we even could at this stage of life. But when I was mentioning the, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, what really the outcome to me with that was it really, in many ways, made Kennedy look even weaker. Yeah, they established the hotline between Moscow and Washington and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, Khrushchev is sitting here building the Berlin Wall, as you mentioned, which he did. He knew that Kennedy wouldn't intervene. So the upshot that we agreed we wouldn't invade Cuba, that's exactly what they wanted. And, and, and they got it uh, with the threat of nuclear war. And as you say, until recently, there hasn't been any reason for them to be concerned. But right after that, and I think some of your writings pointed it out in the State Department, there were individuals who were absolutely Cuban spies. And you mentioned some of that, and people think, oh, man, it's the tinfoil hat brigade. But where we are now is it has become so in your face to people who are watching that it is alarming. And as you say, and you'd know about education because you were running Dade County Public Schools for a while, so you would know firsthand. I can only imagine the battles you fought with that. But let me put it this way, and we will take some calls like Chuck from Rockford, but if Biden is to win, how fast? How fast are we in for a rude awakening? Immediately. We will be in a rude awakening immediately. They will pack the Supreme Court they will do away with the Electoral College. They will bring new states like Puerto Rico and D.C., and they will open our, our, our borders to bring millions of people into the United States. They will legalize all the persons here that are illegal. It will be over for the Republican Party. It will always be a minority party for the rest of our generations to come. And, of course, having Joe Biden, who is on the payroll of China, uh, we will probably be a, a communist nation dominated by China. We will be like a satellite of China. It, the, and unfortunately, this information Americans are not aware of because the press has covered this up uh, completely. The mainstream press, which is not a socialist press. So cool. that is why we're in such a great danger. But I am convinced that the press is going to win. And it's going to win with more votes than he did in 2016. I'm convinced of that. The problem is they're not going to accept uh, his victory. Hillary Clinton told Biden, do not concede, no matter what. Right. And, and they already have Eddie Holder that has hired uh, 700 lawyers or so, and they're going to sue every city, every county, every state where Trump wins, and they're going to lie about it. They're going to say it was voter suppression. They're going to claim whatever. And a good sign is that we were able to get Amy Coney uh, Barrett in the Supreme Court. Now we have six to three majority. So if, if it ends up there, uh, all of these lawsuits, we will win in the Supreme Court. But we could be facing worse rioting, more violence, maybe strikes. Uh, who knows what would happen after November the 3rd, yeah. but I expect a lot of chaos and a lot of violence after November the 3rd. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I pray God that I'm wrong. But this is what I've been seeing, you know, and reading a lot of information, writing articles that talk about the very same thing, you know. 
What is of great concern to me is that there are many very sincere people who are not insiders. They, they, they truly believe that, uh, that the Biden administration would be a better way to go. And they are firmly convinced that what you are saying and what I know to be true is, in fact, part of the tinfoil hat generation, that we are, we are just right-wing wackos in some, some level. And what's worrisome about that is you've got so many rank-and-file people who are dismissive of what is happening. And you're right. The press is not getting it out. Social media is not getting it out. But the parallels to anyone who's lived this is startling. And you've got a huge and vibrant Cuban community in Miami. And I'm sure that everyone is right behind you saying, "Uh uh-huh, here it is again. Well, uh, I estimate that 80% of the Cuban Americans in the United States are going to vote for uh, President Trump. 70% of the Venezuelans will do the same. The Nicaraguan people that have lived under communism, we've had, uh, this, we live in a democratic county. Miami-Dade mm-hmm. County is yes. predominantly democratic. So it's Broward and Palm Beach County to the north of us. But, uh, we Biden could win our county, but with much lesser amount of votes than Hillary Clinton, because we've had caravans of cars with over thirty, forty thousand cars, practically bringing an end to traffic in Miami-Dade County. And each of those cars had three or four passengers with strong flags, and uh, in, so we're talking maybe a hundred thousand, one hundred twenty thousand people in caravans. We also had vote vote caravans as well. And we are really concerned, and I think anybody who's lived under communism can easily see what's happening in the United States. You mentioned a lot of good people of good faith, but if those people have been watching CNN and NBC, they don't see Fox News, they don't read the, the New York Post, uh, they've been brainwashed for four years. You know, yeah. they've been lying about this president every day for four years, every single day. So a lot of these people, good faith people, not bad people. They've been totally brainwashed, and they're not even aware. Yeah. Uh, and our universities, too. Are, I, I taught yeah. at one, uh, when I retired from the school system in Miami, going all the way to deputy superintendent of schools, I became an associate professor at State University in Miami called Florida International University. And that university, like any other university, is full oh, of yeah. extreme liberals and some socialists and some communists. Absolutely. And so our young people are graduating. And they've been also brainwashed as well. And using textbooks like Howard Zinn, oh. and People's History of the United States, we've been using FIU, we've been using public schools all over the United States. So they're getting a distorted view of the history of the United States. And a lot of them think that the United States is an evil nation, racist, uh, systematically racist. And that is the opposite of the United States. Is. This, is an, uh, this is the least racist nation in the world. It's a wonderful nation. We are the beacon of hope of the world. That's why you have millions of people wanting to come here. But that's not what they're learning in the public schools and at the university. And they haven't been learning that for a long time. And, uh, you know, I always say they're not public schools. They're government halls of indoctrination. And this has been going on now literally for decades. And while it may be increasing, it, it's nothing new. And we're reaping the rewards when we see otherwise, quote-unquote, educated people, and particularly those in academe, uh, professors and things of that nature, who have a, a, a very interesting take on, uh, on history, revisionist history, I like to call it. We 
are talking about not only the Bay of Pigs, but particularly the Bay of Pigs, how it relates and what happened surrounding that in Cuba, because you were getting the same rhetoric, the same things you're hearing now in terms of from uh, uh, from the Biden camp, for instance, and many other Democrats, is precisely what you were hearing then. And if you lived through it, it's very eerie to hear it again. I'm counting on Frank De Verona being right about uh, about what's coming, at least with regard to the election. But we will get to Chuck and Rockford. There's room for you. 888-876-5593 is 8888 Raleigh on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. That's Tavares. Heaven must be missing an angel. We got to number three on the R&B charts, 15 on the pop charts. So why two Tavares records in a row? We played It Only Takes a Minute a while ago, 1975 on Capitol. Number one R&B, 10 pop. Well, Tiny Tavares turned 71 on Saturday, so happy birthday to Tiny. Also on his birthday 45 years ago today, it uh, only takes a minute, peaked at number 10 on the Hot 100. So, all right, happy birthday, Tony, and always nice to hear Tavares. So, we are talking with Frank de Verona, who lived it firsthand, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and like others who did, the rhetoric sounds awfully familiar, and there were a lot of Cubans taken by absolute surprise when Castro turned out to be what the United States knew Castro was. And I promised I'd take calls, so Chuck in Rockford, what's up? Well, uh... I had a friend that was listed as killed in the uh, Bay of Pigs, but he showed up later, and I guess he was traded for a, a tractor or a spy or something. And uh, I also knew someone that was in uh, Castro's Army, and this goes back to 1958. And uh, either uh, after Castro took things over, why things changed. Uh, there was about 500 people uh, executed there in uh, uh, Havana, and uh, he was warned that if he didn't get out of the country, he would probably be in one of those firing squads. Yeah, and I'm sure Frank is familiar with that. It was a lot more than 500, wasn't it, Frank? Well, they estimate that about 30,000 people have been shot in Cuba, women, men, and children. Uh, che Guevara himself was responsible about 2,000 people being shot in the first few months of, of 1959. But uh, about 80,000 Cuba have died in the in, in the Straits of Florida trying to get here. Uh, many thousands of people have been incarcerated. Over 300,000 people have been incarcerated for for such a tiny country. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a brutal regime, uh, really horrendous. But not only the harm done to the Cuban people, the harm done to the United States of America and to Africa and, and to uh, all the countries where uh, in Asia and places like that and Latin America in particular that Cuba has intervened in these uh, more than 60 years that the uh, uh, bloody Cuban regime has been in power in Cuba. A lot, a lot of damage for such a tiny country throughout the world. All right, Chuck. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Yeah, likewise. All right. So... Yeah, it uh, it is mind-boggling, and I think there were a few times there where we thought, well, maybe when uh, Castro passed away, the the stranglehold would lessen. But at this point in time, with uh, without strong U.S. intervention or something like that, how likely is Cuba to remain viable? Well, the Cuban people are like the Venezuelan people; they're really starving right now. 
because the regime has failed economically. Uh, they've been rationing food for over 60 years. I mean, Venezuela, they're eating from the garbage, you know. It's uh, yeah. it is the richest country in South America, Venezuela. Communism comes, they're eating out of garbage. And this is what people do not understand, what socialism does to nations. And it's sad that uh, I think half of the millennials, they think socialism is good and capitalism is an evil system. And yet, when you look around the world, about 150 million people have been killed by socialist regimes, like in China, Russia, and so forth. And uh, the last thing we need here, as President Trump says again, this nation will not be a socialist country. He even used the word communist. Recently, this country will not be a communist nation. He said it over and over. And that's why I think uh, Biden would lose this election in spite of all the, the covering up, uh, the press, that's basically against the president. I think there are a lot of people that can see what's happening here, and they're going to reelect the president. Uh, it's going to be close, the election, but he's going to win. I'm convinced of that. Well, thank you. And thank you for spreading the word and for keeping the horror of the Bay of Pigs alive. One more quick question i got to ask. I know there was about uh, $100,000 on your head. That was uh, the uh, exit fee, so to speak. How did, you, how did they come up with the money? How did your parents do that? No, it wasn't my parents. It was oh. actually the Kenya administration that paid that ransom. Uh, my brother and I were worth $100,000 each only because my parent uh, was a cattleman in Cuba. Right. Now, $100,000 is 1962, so it's yeah. like a million dollars today. You yes, know, per absolutely. Uh, but there were 1,200 prisoners, and uh, uh, the three leaders of the brigade were worth half a million each, the 214 of us who were officers of the brigade, or we had property in Cuba, although we had none at the time. They took away everything we right, had. Right. But we were rich, so that was a crime. We were worth 100000 the middle class 50, and what they call the Lumpen Proletarium, they were worth 25000 each, and it added up to $62.5 million. And believe it or not, the Kenya administration paid that, and, and I'll always be grateful forever mm. to the Kenya administration Absolutely. for getting me out of Cuba. And they did pay the ransom in uh, baby food, medicine to Cuba. Well, so thanks to Kennedy, I was able to come back to the United States. Well, thank God there was some happy story there. And uh, as I say, keep spreading the word, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again after the election. Thanks for joining us, Frank.